Hello and welcome to the Modern Divorced Podcast. I'm your host, Billy Tarasio. I'm the owner of Modern Law, a family law firm in the Phoenix area. I've been a divorce attorney for more than 15 years. I've got four kiddos and I'm divorced myself. And on this podcast, we're going to cover everything related to divorce, be it legal issues, financial issues, children issues, blended family issues, counseling, mediation, and more. I hope you enjoyed the podcast. Welcome to the Modern Divorce Podcast. It's Billy Tarasio, and we are joined today by Virginia Lawyer. It's going to be a, a really interesting episode because Virginia has really different rules, and they require fault in order for you to get divorced. Now, you may know this lawyer on TikTok. That's how I met him. Brandon, share with us your TikTok handle. The lawyer of TikTok, which was surprisingly not taken, actually, when I started <laughs> about two and a half months ago. <laughs> Oh, so you're going like all over that. In. Good for you. All right. Well, Brandon, tell people what it is that you do in Virginia. So in Virginia, I'm at, I do a family law. So most of it entails divorce and child custody cases, child custody and visitation. I mean, so you, whenever you say a child custody case, you mean visitation as well. And I would say it's about 60 to 70% in that range. Um, dealing with specifically family law, which also includes adoptions, which I think any domestic attorney would say that's probably the bright side of their practice is when they get to bring a family together. And I am a sucker for that moment because I tear up every time. It's, it's so happy. And then I do probably about 10 to 20% uh, criminal law and then 10% random other things. It's probably even less than 10%, but 10% is just a good whole number. So Got it. So here on the West Coast, well, and most states, states across the country have gone to this no-fault divorce system. And what that means is you can get divorced for any reason, anytime you want to. You know, you got to go through the procedures, but you can get divorced. Nobody can keep you married. But Virginia is not that way. So tell the listeners what that means. So in Virginia, and this is, it's weird for me because Virginia and, you know, I, I'm born and raised in Virginia. I went to college in North Carolina, but came back. So I'm only used to Virginia, never, Virginia doesn't have the, uh, I forgot the specific name for it, but the bar exam where you pass it and you can practice in all, in all the other states that recognize that Virginia is not one of them. I would be surprised if they ever went to it, to be honest with you. So, uh, Virginia has, whenever parties get separated and, and in Virginia, I know some states have, you can file for a legal separation. I hear that quite a bit. Mm -hmm. So Virginia actually considers your date of separation the date just where one party had the intent not to remain in the marriage anymore so right i know that's very it's like oh that's a very broad definition it is so usually what i like to tell people is it's a date where something major happens you know something that can be reflected in you know somebody moving out um you know even in virginia you can actually be separated under the same roof which is uphill battle to prove that, but that can happen. Um, so I guess getting back to my main point, if you're separated, you know, the day after you can go to the court and file for a contested divorce and it has to be a contested divorce. And that's why in Virginia you have contested versus uncontested. Uncontested is where, uh, you have to be just separated. So if you don't have any minor children then you have a separation agreement, then realistically you can be divorced in about seven months if everybody signs everything they need to and then so but with regards to the contested divorce there's three major fault-based grounds that you can file on and they kind of have little 
categories within them. So the first one is adultery. That's pretty self-explanatory. Now it has to be proven by clear and convincing evidence, which clear and convincing, at least the way they treat in Virginia is almost to the point of beyond a reasonable doubt. Of course, they're not going to say that in the case law anywhere, but realistically in courts, that's what I have found. It has to be pretty evident, not okay. just circumstantial. So can we talk about that for a minute? Yeah, absolutely. Does that mean you have to prove that your spouse had sex with someone else? Or can you show like lots and lots of text messages, that sort of thing? Can you show meetings, time spent together, dates, weekends away? Will that will that cut it? So half yes, half no. So text message confirming having sex with, you know, another romantic interested party would usually get you there. By, especially when it's from the adverse party that you're going up against, admit, basically reflecting what happened in the text message. And that happens quite a bit, which is very surprising to me. Oh, uh, <laughs> yeah. don't do like, that. <laughs> uh, yeah, and that's where you get busted, and then you have it. And then you're good to go, and you send it to them, and they're shocked. Of course, their attorney didn't know. But what about the been... sexting so, like, lovers? Right, so I guess it, you know, it, and that's where the, the line is a little blurred. So it has to be pretty like circumstantial is, you know, not really one party admitting or saying anything, you know, if the, if the, I guess, paramour is, the, I guess the lover were to say something and then the, you know, the cheating party were to basically not deny it, but, you know, send like one of those winky emojis or smiling emojis or something like that, that would probably be able to get you there if you can use the other stuff too. So like the away trips, the weekend trips, that alone wouldn't get you there, but that in combination with the other things would. Wow. Okay. And so, let's say that you can prove that your spouse cheated on you. What do you get out of that besides just the ability to get divorced? Yeah. So very, very good question. So any of the fault-based grounds in Virginia essentially is one of the many different factors that the court takes into consideration when dividing up assets, you know, called equitable distribution. Okay. So, so people need to know that the, at least in Virginia, the pendulum or the scales of justice, if you want to use the formal legal term, starts at the 50, 50 mark, anything brought in purchased from date of marriage to date of separation is resumed joint marital property. It doesn't matter whose name it's in, who purchased it or whose benefit was received. It doesn't matter. That's the presumption. Of course, there's exceptions. Like if your family member gave you a gift specifically mm -hmm. to you, things like that. But, you know, start at 50, 50, and then the circumstances, you know, cause it to swing in favor of somebody else. So it's not like, oh, the, my spouse cheated on me. So I'm gonna get a hundred percent of everything. It doesn't work like that. So it would usually slide to, you know, 60, 40, you know, somewhere in the 70, 30, probably worst case scenario. But that also depends on how long they were married. Length of marriage is also in that same that category. Well, and does so, it depend on how much money they have? Like, what if they have $10 million? Does somebody get a million dollars because they got cheated on? They could. I mean, if they had a million dollars worth of assets and it starts out at five and five, yeah. it can go to six and four real quick. Wow. It's yeah. <laughs> <laughs> <expensive> a decision. <laughs> right. You know, that's another thing that's taken into consideration. Like, I had a case where the, the party who got cheated on was they were married for a long time. She was a hundred percent disabled. 
she became 100% disabled legally during the separation time period. Yeah, and couldn't go back to work. And not to mention, she didn't really work much during the marriage anyway. Mm-hmm. So uh, very unique set of circumstances for sure. It's But it's not a do-all, say-all. The only thing that adultery is a do-all, say-all for, and it, of course in Virginia, there's exceptions for everything, is the party who committed the adultery, and it can be proven by clear and convincing evidence, cannot get spousal support or alimony. So I, I always use those terms interchangeably because, you know, Virginia, the statutes refer to it specifically as spousal support, but alimony, same exact thing. Interesting. But it would say, unless it's a gross injustice. So there is an exception. So it's like, well, it's not even kind of a, we all say all either. Okay. So, so, so and then you had said that one of the other grounds is cruelty. Can you differ? Cruelty. So that's, cruelty? Yeah. So cruelty is usually... Now, the biggest one is the physical abuse. So a lot of times you have a domestic assault and battery situation. That's usually that a lot of times, sadly, that's kind of the kickoff point for, for the date of separation would be that specific event. Um, so the physical cruelty can be proven by, you know, a criminal case like that, you know, weren't taken out. Somebody's found guilty and they never reconciled after that and be like, this was why we separated. This is why we're getting divorced. So you have the physical cruelty. Now, the you can also have essentially mental cruelty or verbal cruelty. So basically causing mental abuse on the other spouse. So uh, most of the time, that's very hard and difficult to prove. Mm. You know, and, and that's where you hear things like battered women syndrome coming up into play. And that's not, that's verbal, not physical. So where, and, and that's always... You know, from doing this job, I've realized that that is a very significant thing that takes place and it is very serious. And sadly, there's a lot of women that I talk to that, you know, will call me, explain a circumstance and then even have me move forward on something. And then they say, we reconcile. And like, I've had people do that, same people do that to me two or three times. So, you know, it's a lot of times the mental cruelty can be very tough to prove in court. Okay. So, so how would you prove it? Like, for instance, I, I had a, um, a woman I spoke to yesterday who brought in counseling records. And in those counseling records, the counselor said that he had been abusive to her and that he was, you know, he had his assignments to go work on X, Y, and Z. And her assignments very clearly written down black and white were to go like heal from the trauma of abuse. Like that's what this counseling record said. Would that be enough? That would be enough. So you can use expert testimony. Okay. Or experts saying that we've interviewed both parties, especially if it's like a council, a, a marriage counselor. Mm-hmm. They know they've interviewed both parties, mm-hmm. so they can testify to their dynamic. And mm-hmm. in Virginia, so experts can use hearsay evidence. Mm-hmm. So basically, they can use statements made by your own client mm-hmm. to, you know, make an to say to the court what their expert opinion is in regards to this person has suffered significant mental abuse. So that, that would, that would get you there for sure. So the really interesting thing about this is it changes the, the nature of the divorce completely. So if you have somebody who's looking for vindication, vindication can be achieved in your state and in your courts and in Arizona and many other states, it's just not what the court is there to do. They're there to dismantle a business relationship. And you stayed, so you stayed. And there is no 
vindication. So I would imagine that that might lead to longer trials and more expensive divorces. Maybe. How long do your divorces take? So typically, you know, I've I've had both realms. You know, the I would say the ones that are dealing with just being separated, it and that also, you know, there's certain other things that take into that need to be taken into account too, like the length of marriage. Longer marriages typically take longer because you know you go through the discovery process and get all the financial statements. Usually, it's the last five years. That's kind of the go-to if they've been married. You know, I would say over twelve years or so. So digging through all those, you know, is very very time consuming. So, you know, if I would say that by the time you schedule it, if they've been married for a long period of time, it could probably take up to realistically two years to do. Wow. Um, right. And then other ones, shorter term marriages, even if you have pretty crazy circumstances would probably be uh, right around a year based on one year of separation. So it, that's why when I'm practicing, in my cases, I always schedule a divorce trial. I make sure it's after that one year mark because judges, even if you have pretty significant evidence, they don't usually make rulings on the fault as far as granting a divorce based on fault, unless one party just stipulates to it, which, you know, the parties in these circumstances don't get along very well, typically. So they usually will fall back to one year separation. Okay, so the judge will grant the divorce based on the fact that you all have been separated for one year. I'm not going to make findings on fault. However, when they go to divide the property, it sounds like the property division will include some discussion of the fault issues. Exactly right. That and any type of spousal support slash alimony. So, for instance, I had a case that we agreed on everything except for spousal support and alimony. So we literally went into court and we still had to have like a four or five hour hearing on spousal support because it, it includes almost all those same factors for property, you know, reasons for the dissolution of the marriage, income of both parties, any tax consequences of both parties, debts of both parties, if there's any children. So it's very, almost the same exact factors. So even though you agreed on everything else, you still have to have the parties testify to those things. Because it's all taken into consideration. It's interesting that whether or not you have children is taken into consideration with alimony because that's what child support is for. Correct. And I always tell people too, at least in Virginia, that child support is its own animal. You need to kind of separate that out. Virginia has child support guidelines, and that's the presumed amount that the um, non-custodial parent, or I mean, even if it's 50-50, there can still be child support. Mm-hmm. They pay the other, pay the other party. Mm-hmm. So, and that's um, pretty much completely separate. Mm-hmm. Those are, that's a, that's a numbers, a numbers game. It's mm-hmm. gross income, then any daycare, ex- employment related daycare expenses, any health insurance payments. And, you know, if there is spousal support, it is computed into those guidelines. Mm-hmm. But I always say, you know, child support is what it is. That's yep. always what I tell people. And it's, I've only, I mean, I've probably done, I don't know, four, 450, 500 at least cases dealing with child support, whether it was child support only or, you know, a custody visitation case that obviously Brian child support or divorce. And I've only had the court defer from those guidelines one time. Wow. Interesting. 
Yeah. And that was about four months ago. So it wasn't even like, and I've been practicing for six years now. Okay. And started doing child support and family law, I would say pretty consistently about a year in. So five years worth only one time. What is it that drew you to family law? Um, to be honest, so when I was in law school, my actual, my, the head partner here, and I say boss, but our firm is very much like a close niche environment. Everybody gets along very well. All the staff, all the employee, all the lawyers, which is, we have six lawyers and, and anybody that works with other lawyers can tell you that it's usually you have egos just bashing against each other. We've been very lucky. We don't have that here. So I was taking a law school class my second year and it was, I think it was called law practice and technology, but realistically it was how to manage a small private practice firm. And after the class, he reached out to me and and my best friend in law school at the time, seeing if we knew anybody that needed a job. Well, at that point, we didn't, everybody that we knew that was graduating already had a job locked up, but we said, because we didn't have class on Fridays, we could help out. And, you know, so that basically ended up turning into an internship. And then from there offered, offered me a job once I got my bar results. Got it. So, and, th- and this firm does general practice. I mean, it's family law, criminal law. And then I said, like my 10% random other things. I don't do any like civil litigation. So if you're, you know, suing a roof over your house, cause they didn't do a good job. I stopped taking those. I stopped doing those cases to focus primarily realistically on, on family law. So, and to be honest with you, when I was in law school, family law was not the area I was planning on going into at all. I was planning on going into, you know, business, but the thing is with large businesses, they're usually ran by older, more successful people, especially when I came out because the baby boomers who have started to retire were still running these businesses. They don't want a 25 year old representing them. That's just the reality of it. So, you know, family law, and I've started to realize that I can actually help people as far because family law, when you're dealing with uh, clients, they're going through realistically the hardest time of their life and being able to not just advise them on the law, but be somebody that they can talk to and help them through. Because, you know, I've been, before I got married, my relationship before that, it was, it ended poorly. Mm-hmm. It went they went through a lot of circumstances that these people go through. Mm-hmm. So, so for instance, like my ex-girlfriend, we were living together. She, um, took my shower head. <laughs> yes. And I've actually, the part is I've talked with my, some of my clients. I, I, I think one or two clients that I've had that same thing has happened to them. No way. Yes. And I was like, this wow. is the first time I've heard of someone stealing a shower head. And not to mention that my parents purchased for us. So what was even first? But neither here nor there, I guess. But so I, I've been through that and I always make sure I tell people I'm not comparing it because I'm not because a lot of times these people have children. I don't have, I don't have kids. I've been married a couple of years, well, a year and a half. But, you know, having children, obviously that's not something I can relate to on a personal level, on a court level for sure. But, you know, being able to kind of give them words of encouragement I try to help that because I know it is extremely stressful. Yeah. Uh, I want to know how your firm feels about your TikToks. <laughs> Very good question. So um, 
definitely the, so the first one I started actually new year's Eve and it might've been posted on new year's day. So I think I had technically a couple way before that during the pandemic that I was making fun of my roommate or my, my wife's friend was rooming with us or staying at our house because she was going through a tough time and she would always be filming things. So I took a couple just basically saying like filming her taking pictures of food, nothing at all compared to what I do. So those are on private and I can see those. So for Christmas, I got a bunch of uh, my sister-in-law and my wife have been trying to get me to do it for ever. I would say the last year. And I, so they got me a bunch of gifts, like a ring light, a microphone, and, you know, guilty conscious. I got into it on New Year's. So, and the first video I had was actually me doing the Celine Dion trend in one of my wife's like reception dresses from her wedding. It was, it was absurd. And that, of course, actually, somehow I get a screenshot from the head partner here of the video of him and we have a, a firm group chat and he'll of course be making fun of me like what is this but over time especially when i had one video go viral he's been like the last last lawyers meeting we had he, he even said brandon i would tell you to get off of there but it's working so whatever <laughs> so well, that makes sense I, at first they're like what are you doing you're demeaning right. the profession because Brandon's um, TikToks are, are uh, they're silly. They're really, really silly. They're, they're they, are, they are. They're gimmicky. They're comfy. They're just for fun. He's not doing a lot of, you know, educating or pontificating. He's just oh, entertaining. Not, yeah, not even, no education in the least bit. <laughs> it's not your thing. It's not, not no. your angle. So I can see why the law partners might be, uh, you know, irritated with that. And, you know, say you're demeaning the profession or whatnot. However, nothing speaks like clients. And if clients are coming in, then um, I guess your work does speak for itself. Right. Yeah. And I, the cool part is I'll see a lot of my previous clients and even current clients commenting on it. And I, and I make sure there's a line I won't cross in posting things. Like I kind of treat it the same way as I tell my clients when they're going through a custody case. And I'm like, look, you got to wear things. You know, that you have to, a judge is going to read these things and you got to make sure that there's nothing, I would say embarrassing by any means, but I want to try to be different, help people relax through this tough time. And, you know, a lot of times I'm sure you probably know, a lot of times lawyers can't, they have difficulty being real people. And I think it helps, you know, people going through tough times to see that, Hey, there's somebody that's a real person that can also fight for you in the courtroom as well. Totally. Absolutely. So. Well, Brandon, thank you so much for your time today and for, for being on the show. Um, if you've enjoyed this podcast, make sure to like, subscribe, and review this. And we will talk again soon. Thanks. Thanks so much for listening to the Modern Divorce Podcast. Remember, anything you've heard today or anything you read online is not the replacement for actual consultation with an attorney and does not create an attorney-client relationship. Even if you called in and we spoke to you, you are anonymous and we don't have your details and you have not become a client of Modern Law. However, we would love to speak with you or you should seek out the advice of legal counsel or counseling or any other expert near you. And if you have an idea for a show topic or you need to speak with an attorney in Arizona, you can reach me at info, I-N-F-O, at mymodernlaw.com.